welcome back in, my friends, again to the official 615 podcast brought to you by our good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. And Greg, we've got a great guest with great timing this week. Yeah, but we got, still got some formalities to do, Big Joe. I know sure. how excited you and Justin over here. It's got autographs. You know, <laughs> they'll be on eBay here in a minute. But Kitchen Notes, always Music City Todd. He's uh, lounging on the beach somewhere, but he were always good. Always uh, happy to be come down here. The great staff here, but we're going to be next week out at the Grove. Yes. You want to mention that? Yeah, we'll be because of the Simmons Bank Open taking mm-hmm. place at the Grove. So we'll be down there with our good friend Whit Turnbow. Yep, will join us. Uh, but first, Thursday, the NFL Draft, and who better to get on the show than the voice of the Tennessee Titans, the legendary Mike Keith? Mike, how are you, buddy? Joe. Mr. Pope, <laughs> yeah. How are you? After Freddie, Miss Mr. Pope. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm not that, that much older than you. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll just tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for doing this. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you. Uh, you were described to me the other day. I asked. I told Will Bowling you're coming on the show, mm-hmm. and I said he's got the draft come up. I said I'm just I'm great. We got him. He said Mike is just a machine. You just got to ask him. And there you are. Well, I'm glad to come on with you, especially to come to Kitchen Notes yeah. and to, to be with you guys and to talk about the draft. Uh, it's it's my favorite week of the year, so I'm happy to talk about it anytime. I, I just think it um, it takes me back to my days covering college football recruiting. I still have a problem with that. I'm in counseling, um, <laughs> but I loved it. I, I loved covering it, and I loved all the uncertainty and the craziness and how the stories unfold and the behind the scenes and that's kind of what the draft is, too. And so uh, it, it certainly scratches the itch for me and really gets our next season started. And for us, with how last year ended, you know, very disappointing ending, no doubt, to everybody who loves the Titans, to sort of turn the page and now be able to say, yeah, we've had free agency, but this is yeah. this is that next step, I think, for the fan base more than anything else. And the draft has become its own entity yeah. uh, you know obviously we saw it when it was here what 600,000 people you know it's going to be in Vegas all the different things and the 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 NFL is so good at you know making every day count for something so the draft but I mean the way it's grown in fan interest is going to be on three networks the next three days do you ever see anything like that happening with the draft this the 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 explosion of mainstream interest it's bigger. It will draw bigger ratings than NBA playoff games. Yep. It will draw bigger ratings than Major League Baseball playoff games. And these are games that they're playing towards their championship, and we don't even have a football at the event. <laughs> so it, it's crazy in that way. I think, Greg, you'll see the combine start to become the same thing as we go forward with it getting bigger and bigger. We're seeing the schedule release. Uh, which is coming on May the 12th, start to be its own thing. But, you know, the NFL now has something in every month. You think about it, January's the playoffs, February's the Super Bowl, and then you you've also get the Senior Bowl in there and the Pro Bowl. And then March, you've got the Combine mm-hmm. and Free Agency. April, you've got the Draft. May, players are back on the field and the rookies are with their new team. June is your minicamp month. July opens training camp. August is training camp and the preseason games, and then you've got your season. And that's the whole goal of the NFL from a business standpoint is to have a big event, a tentpole event in every single month of the year. All right, let's talk you. Oh, no. Uh, t- uh, yes, that's, we're, we're talking with, with you specifically. All right, so w- what year is this now? We're coming 25? Getting ready to start 25. 
Uh, take me back to, to 98 before you started. How did it all, how did it all start? Well, I worked for Dick Broadcasting at that point, which is now morphed into Cumulus, who actually has the rights. And But Dick Broadcasting was a company, James Dick was from Paris, Tennessee, and one of the great men you'll ever meet in your whole life. He had radio stations in Birmingham. He had two in Birmingham. He had two in Nashville. He had two in Knoxville. And he had two in Greensboro, North Carolina. I worked for his Knoxville stations. And they surprised everyone, Dick Broadcasting did, by going with Capital Sports and getting the rights to the Oilers games when they moved here. Bobby Denton walked into our office late on a Tuesday night. The late PA announcer. The late PA announcer. He was the general manager of WIVK, Dick Broadcasting, Mm -hmm. Knoxville. And I said, where have you been? He said, well, I've been in Nashville, and I helped them get the rights to the Oilers games. So I literally walked back into our sales area. This was early 1996. And I typed a letter on the only computer we had in the building at the time <laughs> to the president of our company, Alan Dix. Alan Dick was his name, James Dick's son. And I said, if there's anything I can do, I'd like to be involved. And so in 1996, I did a 15-minute show for the Tennessee affiliates who carried the last year of the Houston Oilers. They needed a 15-minute local show with six minutes of local avails so that the local stations in Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Mississippi, everywhere it was being carried, could get spots in. So I did a 15-minute show for that. And then in 97, I did the scoreboard for the Memphis year, and I was in Knoxville. That was Peyton Manning's senior year at Tennessee, and it was it was just crazy town. So I get back in December of 1997 from watching Peyton Manning lose the Heisman Trophy at the Downtown Athletic Club in New York. I left New York City at 4 a.m. I land in Knoxville. I go straight to the studio to work the game. Strangest thing. So we had one of the early online forums. It was called Cornet. And people would type <laughs> questions. People would type questions and I would answer them. Right. So I go on there just before we go on the air and it says Mike Keith to go to work for the Oilers. And I'm like, well, that's weird. So I read it and it totally outlines that after the season's over, the Oilers are going to offer me a job. And well, I'd been told for months this was going to happen. So I laugh because, you know, you hear stuff this for eight months. Oh, they're going to hire you. Yeah. <laughs> sure they are. Right. Well, so I go home and I tell my wife and she laughs. She goes, oh, let's put the house up for sale. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're just we're just yucking it up. Well, Larry Stone, I tell him the story and he laughs, too. He calls me on the following Friday. Five days later. And he says, when you go to the five o'clock news on your radio show, I did three to sevens in the afternoon. He said, when you go to, when you go to the five o'clock news, call me. So I walk outside with the old bag phone. Yeah. I don't have a cell phone, but the station has a bag phone. And I call him, he goes, hey, I think there's something really going on with the Oilers trying to hire you. They have become convinced that they need to get a guy here who's from here, who is has worked with John Ward. They they love the fact that you have that sort of tie-in. And remember, you, and you guys will both remember, at that point, Tennessee football was 
massive yeah. Yeah. national championship in there. Well, that was, and, yeah, that came the next year. Yeah, and, and, and but they thought that it was going to be won right. that year. Well, I mean, they went yeah, as well five and five during yeah. that period. I mean, Tennessee was the number one story. Tennessee right. football was the number one story everywhere in this state. And but, John, but Mike, your Tennessee connection helped. Oh, question, no question. Paul Lyle, yep, you know, pushed for you, and there was a thought that you were because you had worked with. John, that you would be the successor in that, and it was sort of, and then we all think of the world of Bob Kessling and everything. Sure. And so it really worked out best for both, because if they were going to have to choose between one of the two, you know, you're here and he's there. Yeah, but I have to uh, tell you, I have to tell you this. So I find out eight days after I get here, uh -huh. I walk out to my first Oilers practice at uh, Bellevue. And the old doctor's office. I was there. Okay. Every, you, every, you were day, there every day. Uh, every day I was there. So I walk out to practice and the late, great David Clymer stops me. Mm -hmm. And he's got that David Clymer look on his face, which is never good uh, <laughs> because he's got that smile. That means he's going to zing he, you. Well, he, he already had, he's got you. Oh, he's got me. He's got you. He's got me. He's got he goes, so what do you think about radio in Knoxville? And I'm like, I think it's fine. It's uh, tremendous. I mean, uh, radio in Knoxville is great. I just left there, David. I mean, I've literally been gone eight days. Right. And, and then his face just changes to horror. He just goes like white. He goes, oh, you don't know. And I'm like, no what? He goes, John Ward is announcing his retirement tomorrow. And so um, immediately it becomes this crazy. My wife is pregnant, still living in Knoxville, and she's quit her job. She's She's there with my three-year-old daughter trying to sell the house. She doesn't want to move. She has a great job at UT Hospital, and she's about to get a massive promotion. And so now she's here that she calls me crying. What have we, what have we done? Because I, the bottom line is Kessling was going to get it all along, but I probably go to Channel 10 at that point and... Like, you know, I, it's like everybody moves up a step yeah. is probably what happens. And, I, I, you know, my family's like, my, my mom and dad are just sick. They're like, well, we're so sorry this has happened to you. I'm like, no. I'm, <laughs> I kept telling everybody, I, I promise on a Bible. I got I, an NFL job. I keep telling everybody, well, I don't know that I'm going to be the play-by-play -play okay. announcer. I think I'm going to yeah. be, but I don't know that. It was not written in the contract. Right. It was not in the contract that I had so signed. So what did they hire you as? So they'd hired me as the director of broadcasting, and the thought was that after 98 and Joe, Joe was not going to come back because Joe McConnell, the play-by-play -play announcer in 97 and 98, was not going to move to Nashville. If he had said he was going to move to Nashville, he would have been the announcer, but he was not going to move away from Indianapolis. And so the thought was that it would be me, but it was not said. And it was not in stone. And I, I mean, I came over here. I took a pay cut to leave Knoxville. Little known story. With your pregnant wife with crying. My, with my pregnant wife crying who quit her job with a three-year-old. And your parents saying, trying you know, to sell you the house. You can move in with us. I'm living with my parents. Okay. Um, while I'm here, I'm, you know, yeah. I, what I'm doing is I'm driving over first thing Monday morning, and then I'm driving back on Friday night. And so, you know, I'm doing that thing, just trying to get the job started and, out and about. And I mean, it's, it's crazy town. And then Tennessee goes on and wins the national championship. Oh, ouch. And I'm sitting on my couch <laughs> and my buddies, you know, your, your friends are so wonderful in those moments because they're like taking pictures of each other, playing golf in, in, 
you know, Arizona. Right. Hey, buddy. Woo. You know, we, we really miss you. <laughs> um, and they win the national championship. And I've left mm, seven months before they win the national championship. And uh, I turned the game off. And I'm really okay. I'm like, this is, this is fine. Because when the game's over, I turn it off and I go to bed. And it's like, this is great. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't have to work the game. So, um, you know, at that point, it's a little strange. But 368 days later, the Music City Miracle happened. Yeah. In, in 99, we just talked about 97 and 98. Yeah. Mike Keith. Long uh, story. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. Uh, well, we, I think most people yeah. think that you just got the job. Like, yeah. hey, you just but, got the job. You're there. And, well, they hired me because, uh, I mean, you talk about Paul Lyle, the right. late Paul Lyle. He was a huge factor in it because he said to them, he said, look, he's from Franklin. He's been with John Ward. He has sales experience. He has marketing experience. Because if you work for Bobby Denton, you weren't just an announcer. You sold. That was how you made your money. And they paid you very well because if you sold something, that was how I got to do Tennessee baseball is I went out and sold it. So I was making a really good living in a, in a town that wasn't really expensive because I was in sales. And that was the biggest reason I got the job was because I had those elements that they they felt like they needed to get somebody out who would go sell it. When did you find out Joe McConnell was not going to move to Nashville? We found that out at the end of 97. So I knew he wasn't moving, and they had told Joe, much to his chagrin, that it was his last year. And Joe and I got along really well. We really became good friends. And Joe went back to them and tried to convince them that another two years of the two of us together would be better for everybody, including me. But he had lost his power base with Mike McClure. Mike McClure, who had hired him, was no longer there. Don mm -hmm. McLaughlin was in charge. And Don, Don saw the writing on the wall. You know, it, it's like the, the thing that goes on now is you see all these young people walking around wearing Oilers gear. And, and it's the hip, retro, fun thing. At that time, you know, 23, 24 years ago, the Oilers were a bad word, you know, because the, Tennessee didn't want the Oilers. They wanted their own name. They wanted their own team. Now that we're a quarter century later, it's all okay. But that's what Don saw. He's like, look, we've got to turn the page. We've got to get out and sell. And that's what we did. I mean, I was, I was on the road basically four or five days a week. We recruit radio stations, working with sponsors, selling tickets, I mean, the, the whole thing was a, was a big, big process in what we did in the early days. I know the, the first game at Adelphia at the time was the Falcons. Was that was, the preseason game? It was. Take me, though, to the first game versus the Bengals. Mm -hmm. uh, you nervous? You excited? What's you going through your mind there? Because that's your big debut. But the, the nice part about it, Joe, is we had done the preseason. We did the Chiefs game in the preseason. That was the first one. And then we did a Cardinals. We did uh, the Cardinals game, um, which was another was a disaster in its own right. It's kind of another story. But in in doing that Chiefs game, it was so bad, and I know nobody was listening. I, I mean, I hope. Um, but you know, it, we sort of continued to knock the kinks out of it, and we've sort of, in a lot of ways, continued to try to take that mindset with what we do in the preseason now. We won't use every element or every tool at our disposal in the preseason because we want to use that to be able to knock the rust off. So by the time I got to Cincinnati, I was okay. The Chiefs thing 
was such a disaster in August for me personally, mentally, and we missed the plane. Oh. Yeah, we didn't get out fast enough. And uh, I mean, it was a bad, it was, the whole thing was, wow. You listen to the official 615 podcast brought to you by our good friends at WilsonCountyHyundai.com. Many thanks to Payne Bone and his great staff out there putting you in the perfect car. Check them out online at WilsonCountyHyundai.com. We're our- talking about the beginning of 1999, but one of the ESPN called it one of the top 10 American sports, not NFL. American sports calls in history, you and the Music City Miracle, that's something you'll carry with you the rest of your life because, I mean, with that list may, you know, you may drop down to four, five, I don't know where it is, but that, I mean, that that's taken on a life of its own, hasn't it? It has, but I mean, that's the old blind squirrel finds the acorn yeah. deal. I mean, you don't, you, that's lucky. And I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for that. It's why I'll always talk about it. You know, you see rock groups and they don't want to play certain hits because they're tired of them. Yeah. They don't want to talk. About, and listen, I'll talk to anybody about people come up once a week still and say, hey, I remember this. I was with my dad or, you know, we took uh, the grandkids to it and now they're fans. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But the, the, the strangest story was how our call ended up moving to the place where it's been when you hear the play you're going to hear the titans radio call basically because the buffalo announcer didn't call the play a great announcer named van miller he just sat and told everybody that he had predicted we were going to pull something funny the guys on abc didn't really get that into it because it seemed like they were pretty convinced that it was going to be a, a you know forward pass and then, you know, the, the group who was doing the national radio, the color announcer started screaming over the play-by-play announcer and you couldn't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had, he's got something behind you. Hi, yeah, Pat Ryan. Uh, uh, yeah. Pat Ryan who saw it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you time it up with the point at which Kevin Dyson caught the ball from Frank Wycheck, Pat saw it. And that to me is still the most outstanding part of it is that he – you had one guy just calling the play who reacts with total and utter shock. But if you were listening to Titans radio that day, you knew immediately that something good was going on because of how good Pat Ryan was. And that was typical Pat Ryan. And you? Well, I just, I'm just calling the play. Well, I'm you just don't call, You know, I ask you I'm like, just calling yeah. fives and tens, man. And yeah. I, I did look back for a flag. And that was John Ward training. Uh-huh. Um, and, but that was it. Otherwise, and then I start screaming like a seven-year-old girl. Well, Eli Gold <laughs> told me once, I said, how do you prepare for a national championship clinching call? He's done, obviously, six bunch or, of yeah, them a now, bunch yeah. of them now. He said, well, after the first or second, he actually started thinking about how he might call it if, you know, going into the game. There's no way in the world you could expect that. No, especially yeah. because I was terrible that day, too. <laughs> I was horrendous. How so? I was, I describe it as having peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. You have one of those games every year. Every year you have a game where, like in NASCAR, you're fighting the car the whole way around. Yeah. You just can't get it straight. And you, you, 
you say Smith and Jones comes out and you say Jones and Smith comes <laughs> out or you you just get something backward for some reason. Did you do you flow with the crowd? I mean that day because the first half was so Javon Curse wreak, mm-hmm. wreaking havoc, and then the Bills come back, and I was there, and you could sw- you could feel the tide turning there. As an announcer, do you feel that with the crowd oh, as well? Hundred percent, because we had gone down and kicked the field goal right with a minute forty eight to go, and we'd won the game. It's fifteen to thirteen. We've won the game, and because that's how the whole year had been. We run, we run, we run. Aldo Greco comes in, kicks the field goal. Good night, everybody. Well, <laughs> so then what happens? They take the ball right back down the field. And you're like, how can this happen? And, and so they kick the field goal. And Christy, I mean, it, it, he barely got it inside the right upright. Peerless Price made the play to get the extra yardage to get them closer and they were out of timeouts. They didn't want to take a chance with another play, so they bring him in with 20 seconds to go, and the field goals goes through with 16 seconds to go. And you're sitting here going, okay, we've blown it. And that's all I can think to myself is don't sound disappointed. It's been a great year. We've, we've, we didn't know how many people – I mean, you guys remember Memphis and Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, we, we did not have the stadium sold out right away until – until really the middle of the year, we sold out the two preseason games and the regular season opener. And then we got off to a three and O start and we sold out a couple more games. And then we kept moving forward. We sold out a couple more games and we'd come a long way. I mean, our first year had been a massive success just when we got to that point. Now we have blown the first playoff game at Nissan stadium. And, and that was, that's what's going through everybody's mind. But as the announcer and as somebody who's involved in sales, We've still had a great year. You know, we've still had a great year. So don't sound, you know, disappointed when you're going to lose. I thought we were beat. Mike. For all the people who left, <laughs> yeah. right. and, you know, and you know, everybody claims to have been there. <laughs> I have a photo in, on my laptop of me, Hope Hines, and Greg Ruff on the five-yard line with Kevin Dyson running. And okay, George so you Wal- stay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, George uh, Walker took it and saw it and but, gave it to me. But a third of the crowd left yeah. because they tried to get back in. Yeah. And you've heard all the stories about people trying to get back in. I don't blame them. We're beat. Yeah. I'm going to get to the car. I'm going to get warmed up. It's been a nasty day. And then the Music City Miracle happens, and you're like, wow. And I've never seen a reaction like that before or since. To see people, when, when they announce the ruling on the field stands, the, the people just falling out the way they did, it was just unbelievable. Well, that season sent ripple effects that we're, we're still feeling now mm-hmm. because you know, you've got every demographic, grandmothers who've never watched a football game right. in their life, love with Jeff and all of that stuff. Along the way, the two people in the booth you've worked with, Frank Whitecheck, who we love and we wish him so much, and then Dave McGinnis. But the relationship with Frank in his endearing ways, mm-hmm. and then now Dave is just a – he's a, a savant with a – a comedic attitude about him and just a, and, and you know everything you've worked with really two good ones since yeah I mean it's been it's been a great run in terms of that because you don't often have people who are partners and I've had the chance to have partners throughout and you change your style a little bit with everybody who comes in because when Frank started Frank was very new to broadcasting so we had to sort of get it out of Frank You know, it was, I had to talk a lot more than I did with Pat in the early stages. And then we sort of got in our rhythm. 
And then Coach Mack comes in, and at the end of Coach Mack's first preseason, I told everybody on our team, I said, the ball goes through him. I said, he's the most natural I've ever heard in my life doing this. And there's a John Madden quality to what he does. He appeals to fans of every ilk. If you're way serious and you know every coverage and you played, or if you're just somebody who likes listening to a game on the radio. I mean, Coach Mack, he, he truly is the most interesting man in the NFL. And we, <laughs> we try to let wind him up and let him go. He's got the hair and the beard to prove <laughs> it's amazing. it. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is amazing. When we travel, you would not believe who comes into our booth to see him. And as somebody who grew up just a fan, to see Joe Green or somebody, you know, GMs of different teams or national broadcasters come in, and you're like, can, can I have my picture? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. He showed me where Emmett Smith invited him to the Hall of Fame. Sure. And I was like, my goodness, man. I bet that's him. He, you know, he's got over three decades. It starts with the Bears that we – he got to the Bears right after they won Super Bowl Twenty. And then he was there for 10 years. And, I mean, he is a revered figure in Chicago to this day. And the Mike Ditka hiring, he, the story that he tells is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And then he's a revered figure in Arizona because mm -hmm. he got their stadium built. He's the one who pushed all of that through. And in doing so, uh, changed the arc of that franchise because until they had a facility, they were playing in Sun Devil Stadium, and it was a disaster. And then – you know, he was a big deal here because of his relationship with Jeff and, and what he had done for people. And it's funny, he's a bigger deal now with Titans Radio than he was as a coach here, which is hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. The, let's bring it to the leadership right now. Three things with, uh, with Amy, Adam Strunk, mm -hmm. Bud's daughter, and that transition, it couldn't be in better hands. Number two... At the top, the the business side, of course, we're in the process now of possibly by the end game being a two billion dollar roofed stadium. That's we won't even. That's a whole nother you know thing. But walking through, but football side, John Robinson and and, and Mike Vrabel. These are the best of times for this franchise. It, it, certainly since it moved from Houston, and uh, you saw the emotion of of Jr. at the combine. And I, I don't think I've ever seen many GMs open up like that in a public, you know, media setting. And it was sincere. And I think, man, I mean, that's I, I've, I'm jaded like a lot of them. I said, wow, that guy, that probably, he cares, yeah. man. He cares. He's great too. Uh, he's great to work with you. The key for John is everybody in the organization knows exactly what John expects. And I grew up in a house with a dad like that. And so there were rules in my house and all I've ever needed on a team, um, in school or in a job is you just tell me what the rules are and I'll do exactly what you want me to do. The thing that doesn't work for somebody like me and probably for a lot of people is when you get in situations and leadership is all over the road. Well, today we think this and tomorrow we think this and... <laughs> And, you know, I just read a book on something by somebody who was on Oprah, and now the, I'm going to change my philosophy. John is still from Union City. He's still his father's son on the farm, and we're just rowing in the same direction. As a matter of fact, uh, this weekend, in preparation for the draft, I went back and read the first interview John ever did when he got the job in 2016. 
he talks about offense and defense with the lines. He talks about running the ball. In other words, I'm not going to go through it all. It's exactly what we have done. It is it, it, The words that he said in January 2016 are exactly what the Titans have become and what he does every single day. And so everybody just knows. Vrabel's the same way. And Vrabel is really a kind guy. Uh, he'd give you the business a little bit. He certainly gives me the business a little but bit. But I think he likes to. And a lot of oh, that. He loves that. It's a, it's a game. And, it's and a not, game. In, not in the bad term. No. With the media, with everything. He enjoys that little Again, uh, tit for tat, if you will. Back to my dad. Yeah. That's the way my dad is. Yeah. And so that whole thing is no problem at all for me. He told me one time, he said, hey, my wife said I'm being a little hard on you on TV. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> I've, I've seen she was worried because she, she said you kind of look mean there um but he he's really a good guy and I, I tell the story when I go out and speak places about to describe how Vrabel is it, two things one when we finish the tv show he thanks everybody on set personally knows people's names people appreciate that mm -hmm. and he respects that the other thing too is when he came in he told the players he said hey when we're in the building we're all grown men who are professionals. You can come talk to me. You can sit with me at lunch. I'm not playing any mind games with you. I'm not trying to motivate you, you know, by not talking to you. He said, I'm not, we're not doing that. He said, you got a problem with your family. You got whatever. He goes, I'm here. And our coaches are here. And we're going to be like this. Now, on the field, all bets are off. He says, we're going to coach you hard. And don't take it personally, because if we coach you hard, you play better, which means we win more, which means you are in the league longer, which means you make more money. He said, when I played, I want to be coached hard. And he said, we are going to coach you hard. And when you're on the field out there, I mean, one of the first days we were out there, he gave it to Marcus Mariota, who was the starting quarterback. And you're like, whoa. Usually nobody says anything to the starting quarterback like that. But I think that made it pretty obvious that he was going to be that way with everybody. And he still is. You know, even the best players, he will still give the business on the field. But when it's over, it, it doesn't have the same carryover effect inside. So that realness with the guys, um, that it, it's a lot of credibility. Let me ask you this. You've been, every draft that the Tides have been here, all these players, is there a player that you became fond of personally but because of injuries, never got to where they needed to go. Kevin Dyson. Kevin Dyson would have been a great. And if he doesn't get injured with Perry Phoenix at that practice uh, in 2000, after that just amazing game that he had played against Kansas City the weekend before, I think Kevin Dyson goes down as wow. our best receiver ever. Uh, undoubtedly. I could say the same thing about Tyrone Calico, but probably not to the extent that I am fully certain of Kevin Dyson as the human being that he would have been able to not only reach that, that status, but keep that up. You know, what we've seen from great players here over a period of time is they have a character to them that allows them to continue to do that day in, day out. Dyson would have been that. That would be Dr. Dyson uh, Dr. to Dyson. you, uh, the principal. I think uh, yes. he's unfairly judged because of Randy Moss. He is unfairly judged because of Randy Moss. Very different kind of player, and the context that is not there now is what sort of an issue Randy Moss had been in, in high school and college. Right. 
And that's forgotten now because he's the funny guy on ESPN. I covered his recruitment, and it was the strangest thing you've ever seen. And I was, I was actually thankful he did not go to Tennessee um, because he was a complete mess. Well, what goes to what you're saying about Dyson, you know, everybody's like, well, that, the Oilers took Dyson instead of Randy Moss. Right. But, but that those injuries, you're saying he could have been that level. Well, he, you know, he's who we went to at the end of the Super Bowl. You know, that's right. We, we went to him at the end of the Super Bowl to try to win the ball game, and that's that's where he was. Derek Mason was still ascending mm-hmm. at that point and became a great player. He's arguably the best receiver we've ever had. In Borderline Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, yeah, right I there. I mean, great yeah. career and and a guy who worked it and worked it and worked. Yeah, he it. came in what a fourth round, fourth round pick from Michigan State, mainly as re- return specialist initially. Well, and you'll yeah. remember this too. He and Samari Roll got mm-hmm. hurt in a practice at TSU that was a very oh my god, I was ser- out there. Yeah, I was too. <laughs> a very serious injury in '98 yeah. that everybody was terrified that one or both had been hurt badly, and turned out they were both okay. But you know, Derek is. I mean, you look at his numbers and phenomenal. I think he and Dyson together would have been off the charts. So he's the one that jumps out. Favorite player. Is it can you do that? Probably is Dyson. Because Dyson, Kevin is someone that I've gotten to know. I don't get close with players while they're our players. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you just it's hard to get attached in that way. It's like when we traded Jarrell Casey. And I got that phone call. It was really, really hard because I love Jarrell Casey. He's sure. another one in my top five. But you know guys are going to leave. You know, and when we drafted Jeffrey Simmons, I knew the clock was starting to run for Jarrell. Yeah. I was excited about Big Jeff, but I knew that meant financially Jarrell Casey is not going to be here much longer. And for that reason, I don't get close while they play, but I get to know them after uh, obviously, Bullock is a is a good friend oh, that I yeah. do radio. I love Bullock, uh, but Kevin is one that you know I've just gotten to know. I worked with him a lot when he was a player. He went out on a lot of caravans. He took a lot of my money in card games. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing we had him brought up. Yeah. The, uh, the caravans. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I mean, how many year? I mean, well, they did it. Do um, you know how many years for it? How many? I locations. did. I did fourteen. Yeah, and at that point, we were generally doing fifty to sixty a year over a two-week period. <laughs> it, it really all changed when they changed the off-season program from sixteen weeks to nine weeks, because if you had a sixteen-week off off-season program, a guy could be gone for a day. In the nine-week off-season program, it's hard. But it was crazy because obviously the. The '99, the you know what that propelled you. You were rock stars in a in a you and just go out on the road. And I, I, you've done interviews with me from the bus. Yeah, for twelve, the the caravan in 2000 was twelve days, seventy two stops. <laughs> and I mean, it was. But you had arrived. I mean, it it, it is. Um, it's that that the caravan could be the book. Because everything that happened on the caravan, especially inside the bus... Stays. Yeah, it stayed. That was the rule on the door. Is everything that happens on the bus stays on the bus. But, I mean, there were players that were not exactly thrilled at different points, that threatened to leave uh, at certain moments. There were good card games. There were good meals. Uh, there were a couple who got in a fight in a bar one time <laughs> that they didn't tell me about for a year. Wow. Ooh. 
that the sta- that the staff members who were with them didn't inform me about for a whole year uh, because they were afraid of what I would do, rightfully so. Um, I mean, there was, but but you went out and and Greg, I met somebody two weeks ago who said you brought Kevin Carter to my school in Milan when I was twelve, and wow. I'm in my thirties now, and that's why I'm a Titans fan. Home of John Tucker, right? Yeah, right. I, all right, we're about we we've gone all over there. All right, uh, Kenyon Green tomorrow is my pick. Uh, is that 20, right? Yeah, I, and that plug and play I've left guard. Him. Yes. Oh. You've heard of him. How much research do you do for, for this? I've heard of him. It's pretty heavy. A smarty. It's no. pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. Heavy. I spent a week at the senior. Am bowl. I off base with him? I don't think that's an off base guess. I think well, that would be one that would make a lot of offensive sense. offensive line wide receiver. Don't you think? Those are the two positions that make the most sense. If I were a betting man, those would be the two spots that I would see as most likely. But I'll, but I'll tell you this, and I keep saying it. If there's a corner there, I don't know that they're going to turn a corner down. You I want, I want, go ahead. I'm going to interrupt because I don't want. I want to say something. Ten years ago, I was offered the Tennessee State University play-by-play job, and I went to three different people: Joe Fisher at the time at Vandy, Bob at UT, and Mike. And I said, "Can you give me your boards? What you have there?" I looked at Joe's, who I ended up using, and I, I looked at Bob's, and I looked at Mike's, and I thought. I'm not building a spaceship. It's hieroglyphics. I am not building a spaceship. Yeah, I know. My gosh. I know. But you have, you know, there may be, what, 2% of it there you'll use, but every bit of it's there when you need it. But you know this now yourself is you have to do your own system. And that's what I didn't get when I got the job is I was trying to do John Ward's system. And you can't do that. You have to, but it takes a period of time to figure out what, what really works for you. And, the research part is a big thing, and working the draft really helps me toward the season. It, 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 and for all teams, because I'll take all this work that I've done, and I'll plug in all the guys the Buffalo Bills draft, and I'll plug in all the guys that the Arizona Cardinals draft, and so that helps with the preparation for them as well. I get, we're going to run over with them. I we already few, have. I got a few more with you. Right. Uh, I want to go back to, to the 99 draft out in Bellevue. And I remember it's coming up. Andy Katzenmoyer was the talk. And although the, the Floyd Reese would have never admitted this, and Ty, they wanted him. And I think, and the Patriots took him. And after him was Javon Curse. Okay. I remember his name popped up. We're in Bellevue. Like, ah, oh, he's a tweener. And he, you know, he didn't really, he did okay at Florida. I'll just remember when they took Javon Curse out there, how that really changed on the field for that franchise that first year. You plug Katzenmoyer in there. I don't think we're talking this conversation at all about going to the Super Bowl. It's just a weird moment for me. Do you remember who led us in sacks in 98? Uh, Lonnie Martz. Wow. <laughs> With five and a half. I mean, we needed a pa- we needed a pass rusher bad Joe. And to get the freak, and for him to be the freak. Yeah. And for him to play at Florida in that era where, again, back to the Tennessee Florida thing was the story. You know, in the Southeastern Conference, that was the game every year. And so we get a great SEC player who's got a great nickname, who fits our need, who has this great personality. He was transformative. And that's why he's going in the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame July 23rd, because he is a guy that he was the first Titan officially. Mm -hmm. 
and what, wow, he, right. what he meant that first year. And again, back to the caravan. There are so many pictures of kids with Javon Kurz palming their head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was the picture everybody wanted right. because his hands are so massive. And he would palm little kids' heads and their parents would take their picture. And such a nice guy, you know, just such a pleasant human being. I think he's going to move back here eventually because every time he comes into town, he can't get over, Joe, how much people love he's him. He's a rock star. He's yes. a rock star. He's a rock star. And, and, and that, you hit it, though. It, he, Andy Katzenmore, you might have ended up being a better player. Maybe. But the, but the bottom line was for us at that moment to get an SEC guy that people knew with unique nickname, with the personality, and then for him to just be off the charts good, wow. 13 years it'll be since McNair passed away. Uh, when you go back and watch, and you're on every call that he did, will there ever be another him? I mean, as much as quarterbacks are valued, because that guy just, he did things in the field you would, nobody else has done since, I don't think. I agree. I don't think we'll ever have another one. I mean, we may have one that's better. Um, Tannehill's put up better statistics and has won a lot of games for us and has played well, but the McNair factor and his ability to do the spectacular was just quite different. And you can both speak to this because you were around in the era. The athlete that he was was just unbelievable. He could have started for us at safety. <laughs> he probably would have played – he could have played running back for us. He well, the played, reason he went to Alcorn State was to play quarterback. Right, that was the only place because yeah. everybody recruited him. For years, he and Terrell Buckley held the state record for interceptions – Everybody and their brother, Florida State, recruited him as a defensive back. Mississippi State recruited him as a defensive back. You know, this guy was just something else. And you can probably remember the charity softball games. And he was the MVP of the charity <laughs> softball games. He had two home runs. He nearly took one completely out of Greer Stadium over the baseball fence. And I said, hey, that's great. I said, uh, you play a lot of softball? Because I haven't played in softball in like seven years. <laughs> but then two hours before every game, somebody had to go find him because he'd take a nap. Right. Yeah. Well, Just, because and, and Steve, unfortunately, didn't take really good care of himself. Yeah. He was the opposite of Eddie. Eddie really took great care of himself. Steve didn't take care of himself until the end of his career. Right. Or he would have played. But long. a lot of that was just, hey, I, I just show up and play football. That's it. Yeah. That's who he was. Whether I have my sternum hanging out of my body or not. Or I have no sternum. Yes. They found out he had no sternum. Unbelievable. All right. Last thing I'm going to ask you. You said to a Greg and I a couple years ago at training camp about uh, new sports reporters, old sports reporters, about one thing they should always do. And, it's, and I tell, when I go speak to people like you do, I always bring your name up and I tell this. You said, for so, somehow, some way, stay grounded to high school football. Mm -hmm. And whatever you could do, stay grounded to that sport. And why? Because it's the most pure. If you watch it, you know why you love it. You under, I mean, I've I gotten out and watched our girls' flag football league in Williamson County this spring, and you watch those girls play, and you're like, man, they, the love of the game, the fun, seeing anybody make a big play, seeing the reaction of the crowd, understanding how it affects so many people, and that it is – football is a communal sport for us in this part of the country. It's, it's a gathering. It's not just a game. Uh, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and cousins and everybody in the band and the cheerleaders and the people working the concession stand. The, the atmosphere 
to me is just so important to understand that we may be walking into Lambeau Field on Sunday, but it is no more important than walking in to Oakland High School on a Friday night. And that carries over to college and the pros. And I think I'm really proud of the Titans that we have stayed involved with the high schools the way we have. Yes. And that we have continued to, like with this girls flag football league, if you haven't seen this yet, it is so much fun. And how they're doing it is fantastic because by playing on Sundays, they're not making girls give up other sports. So they can, they can do more than one thing. And they're just having a blast. And you say, it's a great game. And it's a great game for everybody. Well said. Thank you, brother. Is this part one of the interview? Do we start part two in a minute? <laughs> it's good days. I know you're busy. Well, we'll I have Canyon Green on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, plug the coverage tomorrow on, on the on the zone. Look today because it's coming out on Thursday. Uh, yes. yes, I'm sorry. And we'll start at six o'clock and we'll go all the way through um, every pick. Every pick probably do uh, about through eleven thirty, and then on Friday all of rounds two and three. So we'll have. All 105 picks on 104.5 The Zone starting at 6 o'clock on Thursday and Friday night. And you can listen online or on the app or, or wherever you tune in. And um, we enjoy doing it. Uh, Coach Dave McGinnis is an amazing listen when it comes to the draft. He's watched over 250 players on tape. <laughs> he still brings Did he it watch down. Kenny and Green? <laughs> He's familiar with it. I'm going to say Zion Johnson. It's another good pick. Because that's the Boston College Vrabel connection. I, I, let's put it this way. I've interviewed both of them. I would be happy with either one. P as people and as players, I would be happy with either one. That's the only pick I would Traylon Burks, too, or uh, Sky okay, Moore, fine. or <laughs> Jahan Dotson, or... But no quarterback. In the first round? Yeah. I don't think nah, so. not then. I don't think so. Do you hear those Ritter things because of the fickle connection and yeah, all of and that, that and, at Cincinnati? And that, he, yeah. that his idol is Tannehill and mm, things like yep. that. I get it, but mm. I think for this team right now with this particular quarterback draft, they need help for this year. And I think that's where you're going to go at the top. You're going to grab somebody who can help you this year. We went into part two right there. <laughs> you got the record, the best and longest podcast. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Time Thanks, Mike. I've called the longest NFL game, too. <laughs> it was at the Green Bay. Uh, Miami. 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 Oh, yeah. it, it's like it was over three days or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you, man. Thank Thanks, you so guys. much. Thanks, All right, Mike. Greg, take care. All right. Thanks for everybody listening.